Welcome back, you sons of bitches. Rolling fat. Happy to be back. Um, obviously, the time off was due to major changes, um, but I'm happy to be here. So to kick things off, let's get into the Thursday night recap. Uh, let's be honest. None of us were watching the Chiefs play the Broncos in a sloppy Thursday night game when the Phils were bringing home a game-clinching victory over the Bravos. God damn, my cock was hard. Sir! With that being said, I did go back and rewatch the game. Thank you, NFL Plus, Consense Tape, and Box Score Perusing to pull some worthwhile facts and figures to enlighten myself in the group, so here we go. Uh, the first three plays had three different running backs for the Broncos, and that was before Javante Williams, the main running back, touched the ball in the fourth carry. But as soon as he did, wow, he was exploding through the line. Um, that did end quickly, though, as their offense continued to stall, making no true fantasy opportunities for anyone but Cortland Sutton, who finished with four for 46 and a tutty. Russell Wilson had yet another disappointing performance, which has forced us to wonder, will Doug Heffernan have the balls to pull a starting quarterback when he could never even find the balls to stand up for himself against his smoke show wife or grumpy father-in-law? Russell and Doug could both be looking at a career in package handling if this shit isn't turned around fast. Maybe Cleveland could hire them for their package handling position. KC won the game pretty decidedly, even if the score did not reflect as much. They had a 16-point lead up until about halfway through the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes has yet to fully break out, only having one week over 26 points and averaging 23 points. Now, that's not too shabby by any means, but he hasn't you know, been single-handedly winning Jay any weeks this year like he's known to do in the past. Kelsey had almost half of Mahomes' yards on about a quarter of the targets compared to the rest of the players. Kelsey continues to be the reliable, steady, and he keeps fucking Eastern PA residents. Now he's just doing a lot more consent. Nikki Tits had the pleasure of the night, owning the second highest point scorer, Harrison Bucker. And that's on the same night I pulled my own Nikki Tits moved and forgot to pull Russell Wilson. Fuck me. Pacheco showed his place in the top 10 of running backs has some real staying power since Clyde ended up with only two rushes and one catch, which paled in comparison to Pacheco's 16 rushes and six catches. That kind of utilization and efficiency could put him in a position to have some absolutely insane weeks if the Kansas City offense could start scoring touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. Now for our presenting sponsor. Everlasting Gatorade. The proof is in the pudding here, kids. If you're only to take one measly sip per day of the remainder of your life, you too can have your Gatorade last a lifetime. Just ask our number one spokesperson, Kyle Tiger. Kyle? Yeah, well, you see this fucking guy, he fucking sold me his Gatorade 7-Eleven to go with a pack of bows and a vape as well as two tins of Zen. I already crushed those fuckers this past weekend, but still got easy two, three years left of this fucking drink. It doesn't appear you were drinking it at all, though. How the fuck you expect me to drink that fucking thing when I still got 12 of these Jack and Cokes to suck down? So are you going to at least put it back in the fridge? Dude, I'm still drinking it. This guy's even fucking get it. You may be saying two to three years isn't everlasting. Well, you would be right. But fuck you. Nothing is everlasting. And this is marketing. So kick rocks. Back to our regular scheduled podcast. All right. So jump into the NFL matchups this week. Um, the first one we're going to be highlighting is the Panthers versus Dolphins. No, Panthers at Dolphins. Over under 47 and a half. Miami is a 14 and a half point favorite. 
Um, so the expected outcome is Miami 31, Carolina 16, 17, somewhere in there. Miami could put up 31 points in about a million different ways. So we're going to go through a little bit of a thought experiment here as we move through the fantasy options. Most likely scenario I see here is Mostert leading the way in the fantasy world, possibly going for 150 plus yards, three touchdowns, a few catches to add to the embarrassment. He'll be sharing the backfield with Chris Brooks, a rookie out of BYU with nine total carries in this year. BT dubs, all those carries were in a 7-20 blowout win over the previously mentioned King of Dweebs, Ram Broncos. Um, also sure to see some touches is Salvan Ahmed, who hasn't logged a carry in over a month, and at that point only had six carries over three games. This could easily turn into the Mostert show. Again, being that he already has two other weeks with 25 and 41 points. If the Stars couldn't align any more perfectly, the Panthers are also the second worst defense against fantasy running backs. They should have a red zone channel designated times when Mostert's on the field, kind of like when Barry Bonds' cut-ins were happening on ESPN back in the days of juice in baseball. Now, typically when a team is that porous against giving up rushing or receiving, it means the other side of the coin should see a bump down. But the Carolina Panthers are an anomaly at how poor they play defense. They sit right in the middle of the pack against fantasy quarterbacks, But let's be clear here, the Dolphins are not your typical passing offense. Waddle has another week since returning from injury, and even though Tyreek dominates the receiving headlines, rightfully so, he does lead the lead in yards, Tua does like to spread the ball around, and as the season goes on, Tua has continued to develop relationships with Waddle, Cedric Wilson, and Berrios. Second scenario, in the expectation the Panthers are trying to stop the run, Dolphins start hot early and lean on their top 10 pace of play and explosive outside receivers to loosen the box numbers up a little bit. Even in this case, I would still expect to see Mostert play a big part as a dry finisher, passing out of the backfield, and a way to eat time with a lead late in the portion of the game. In the summary of the fantasy options for Miami, smash start on Mostert, definite start on Tua, Tyreek, and Waddle. And not surprising at all, Carolina is also the bottom of the barrel defensively against tight ends, giving up almost 11 fantasy points per game to the position. Plus, Miami has been getting Durham Smythe, which translates to Carolina flatbread, fittingly, to be a bigger piece of the offense. He could easily grab one of those touchdowns for himself. On the other side of the ball, Carolina's offense has been just about as good as their defense. Bryce Young is a 30th best fantasy quarterback, averaging just over 14 points per game, his only game you know, anywhere above that average was last week against the Lions where he was forced to try and keep up with that high-powered offense. This week could have a similar script, especially with the Miami defense ranking in the bottom third against opposing quarterbacks. In most matchups, a defense paired with a high-powered offense will have a higher turnover number, being able to tee off on the predictable pass-required offense. But Miami has yet to do so, only locking two interceptions on the season, and Jalen Ramsey is still a ways away from coming back in support could be one of those few startable weeks for Bryce Young in his rookie season. On the receiving end, Bryce Young, Thielen has developed into the lone receiver worth having shares of. With Thielen's ability to create separation, about you know, a little over three yards per target, and be relying, being a reliable set of hands, Young has made it a priority to key on him throughout the passing game, accounting for about a quarter of his total yards and targets. The rest of the hodgepodge group of, let's say, potential NFL players don't consistently produce enough to really be impacts week to week, especially in a week where only two teams are on by. Once again, though, Hayden Hurst at tight end could be a throw in there because shoulder shrug emoji. He is a large target and with good hands and above yards after catch potential, he could see you know an extra catch or two come his way. 
The true piece to have stock in this week for the Panthers is Chuba Hubbard, with Miles Sanders being ruled out. The only other active running back this week for that team is expected to be Raheem Blackshear, who has logged zero carries and zero catches on two active games this year. Chuba was already starting to gain some ground on Sanders in the running back snaps and carries. With a productive week, it could cement him as a number one even after Sanders gets back. LaVisca Chenault, who is a hybrid wide receiver, currently has about three times the amount of carries versus catches, so he should play some sort of role, but if the game gets out of hand quickly, it might not even matter who's getting the backfield reps. To summarize, Chuba Hubbard is a good start as a running back, or two or three, or maybe a flex. Bryce Young in an absolute pinch, and Thielen as a flex. Fuck it. Put Hurst in there, too, unless you have a solid start of the position. Next thing we're going to talk about is Seahawks-Bengals, over under 45 since he is favored by five or by three. Um, Vegas expects, you know, the outcome, Bengals 24, Seahawks 21. On a slightly more even matchup and a reasonable over-under, this game looks to rely strongly on time of possession, running the ball, and avoiding turnover-worthy plays. Joe Burrow has continued to get healthier from his leg injury, and last week showed he still has the potential for a great game, even if it was against the Cardinals. He threw for three tutties and had an interception, but if you throw the ball 46 times in a game and almost 40 times per game on average a season, an interception or two is bound to happen, and the other numbers around it should be enough for it not to matter. Seattle's a fairly tough opponent against fantasy quarterbacks, ranking in the top half of the NFL, so this game is looking like a good, not great day for the Bengals through the air. Another thought experiment here. If a defense is a middle pack against quarterbacks and a top three against wide receivers, Where are those air yards and fantasy points going? Aha, tight ends. Seattle is dead last in defending the tight end position in fantasy. The only issue here is that Cincy typically has three to four tight ends contributing in a game, so picking the tight end is actually going to be tough. I would avoid it altogether this week, but a good note for future matchups against the Seahawks is streaming the opposing tight end, especially in systems where there's only one involved. Could be like middle school short shorts. Juicy. Now to the real play for Cincinnati, Joe Mixon. He's involved in every facet of the offense and will continue to be the use to take the load off of Joe Burrow, sitting idly in the pocket with that string bringing of a calf. The other running backs for the Bengals account for eight carries and seven passing targets versus Mixon's 84 and 17. He should once again be heavily, heavily utilized in the offense. Currently projected at 12.7 points for this week, which is just a few notches above his weekly average so far this year. I see him looking at potentially, you know, touching the 80 or touching the 20 mark. Uh, what makes me feel even stronger about that is Seattle gives up 22 plus points per game to the position, and Mixon is really explosive anywhere on the field. Jamar Chase looks to continue his dominant play. I doubt we will see him touch the 45 point mark like he did last week against the Cardinals, but will always be a viable option, especially after how he backed up his quote unquote always open claim to the tune of 15 catches on 19 targets. T. Higgins will be back, but even in games where he was a large part early in the season, the passing focus is always on Chase. I believe that to be the case again. Seattle has a talented young secondary and will move their pieces around, but they don't believe to have any single secondary member attempt to lock down Chase, regardless of what DK said during the week. This gives the Bengals the ability to exploit different matchups and run route combinations to target Chase and Mixon. So let's wrap up that one. Mixon, absolute stud potential. Burrow and Chase, reliable, but definitely will be in the same realm they were last week and look to be a little closer to their average output, but no way you bench either one of them. 
Now for the Seahawks. Just like myself, they're coming off a bye, so this should give them an extra week to prepare. All the fantasy options I gave for the Bengals, feel free to drop them down a peg or two. And for the Seahawks offensively, maybe bump them up a peg or two. Gina Smith got banged up a little in the last outing versus Giants, but has had the extra week to recover and came back later in that game as well. So it should not really impact him all that much. He was, has wildly inconsistent this year with only one true boom week when he played the Lions week two. Once again, Detroit proving to be a plus matchup for fantasy opponents. Cincinnati is a tough opponent for all offensive players and fantasy, though, so I don't see Geno coming out slinging it. He looks to be a solid stream, streaming option, but not someone you are really locked in to play this week. To this point, he's only the 22nd best fantasy quarterback. Receivers and options for the Seahawks are Luck and Metcalf, as always, and the Seahawks are also one of the few teams that feature multiple tight ends with Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson. They run their 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, six most in the NFL at 26% of the time, and have exactly zero snaps without a tight end on the field. So there's always one on there. Now, once again, since he's a tough D across the board, but this does bode well for a potent receiving threat of Noah Fant. Now back to Lockett and Metcalf. Lockett has had weeks of 2, 22, 7, and 7. Metcalf, 12, 10, 14, and 11. Week 2 against Detroit was the only time they are both viable options, and Lockett has been a major letdown to this point. These trends are completely flipping the roles of the past where Metcalf would see the boom weeks where Lockett was a steady eddy, I see this being the new norm, though, as Lockett rides off into the sunset and Metcalf becomes a new fantasy version of the old reliable. Once again, though, the bulk of fantasy potential lies in the backfield with Kenneth Walker. Always looking to punish a tackler, but still fast enough for a breakaway, he continues to be, or he continues the long legacy of three down backs for the Seahawks. Currently sitting as a number 11 fantasy running back with a week off to get healthy, Kenneth Walker is primed for a big game in perfect running back weather. Little wet little cold. Charbonnet feels falls into that same style of running, so I'm sure his snaps will be impactful, but predicting to be, you know, a breakout will be a little, little premature. But if the situation ever did arise where Walker was missing time, he would be an absolute smash play for the receipt for the offense at any point in the season. So summarize that one. Kenneth Walker, play him. DK Metcalf, put him as a wide receiver two or three. And then Gino, Lockett, Smith, and Jigba, only if you need them. Hopefully you don't. All right, so highlight the matchups in the fantasy week. We got the kid, E, versus Dave, that ass though. With their current records and history of fantasy finishes, this one was set to be a blowout. But don't look now. Dave was forced to start Samaj P. Rhyme on Thursday, netting him only .6 fantasy points. That, paired with recently reliable output of Pacheco, noted RU alum, puts the expected score at 109 to 104 in favor of Dave at that ass though. So much of the matchup will play out in the Jets versus Eagles, where E has AJ Brown, Eagles D, and Jake Elliott accounting for 33 plus points of his projected total, and then Dave has Swift and Hurts accounting for 41 of his. Between the two teams, that is nearly 33% of all the points scored in the week. Dave's luck will continue, as that game isn't on to the late slate, meaning he will probably catch the end of it after he lands in beautiful Hawaii. This guy may never catch a fucking L. What the fuck? The Eagles showed American History X-style curb stomp the Jets, so Evan having Eagles D could play a large part of the matchup. 
The other beast in this matchup that completely flipped the script is Jonathan Taylor. He has him in the flex, out of necessity, looking at his bench players. But if he could put together a solid week rushing, paired with a touchdown or more, it could strongly put the kids' team in the driver's seat. For our second game of the week, we will be taking a closer, closer look at Tom versus Rex. They're currently projected to score almost identical scores of 121. Both teams are currently under 500. Tom could pull even to 3-3 three three with a win, where Rex could slip to 1-5 with record with a loss. A lot is on the line. Tom will be relying heavily on the receiving threats in Minnesota, trotting out Addison, now a full-fledged fantasy option in the wake of Jefferson's injury, and Hawkinson, who should see an increased role as well. He will also have a large piece of the Cincy game highlighted earlier in the Burrow-Mixon. On the other end of that, Rex already has held about um, even on his projected points because Lamar Jackson, the Ravens' D, finished their game in London this morning. Lamar fell about four points short of his expected total, where the Ravens' D came about four points ahead of their expected total, evening out the playing field. With that already being accounted for, Rex will be focusing on the Cincy game as well, hoping Mixon and Burrow falter, where Chase gets every receiving stat available. The final piece of this matchup will be Eckler, coming off his injury absence and hosting the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Currently expected to score 16 or more, the Cowboys of late have really dropped off on defense, and receiving running backs always crush them. I expect it to be amplified by the fact that Leighton Van Der Esch is hurt, and Parsons will most likely be stretched way too thin to cover Eckler in the passing game and apply pressure to Herbert. Could be a big one for a player a lot of people have possibly coming back before the bye and now post-bye facing a beat-up Cowboys D. Well, good luck, you sons of bitches. Um, glad to get back in this swing of things here. Love you. Good luck.